0: Every Sunday, there are over 30 people working away in different roles um, to make church happen. A lot of the time, you only notice what they're doing when something goes wrong, but it's really, really important. So thank you to the whole team who are working hard on this. My name's Matt. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. It's my privilege to get to speak to you this morning as we explore the Bible together. So I want to ask you this morning, um, whether you've ever stood at a crossroads in life and just wished you knew which way you should go. Wished it was clear the direction you should take. Like you stood in front of a whole set of doors and you couldn't figure out which one to go through. You ever have one of those moments where you think a bit bigger whether you'd love to know what you're meant to do with your whole life? Sometimes I feel like I would love to know exactly what God wants me to do. Uh, Exactly where he wants me to go, uh, exactly what he wants me to say. I'd love guidance so clear I couldn't have any question about what was going on or doubt it or miss it, and that I might thrive with that sort of continuous direction from above, that writing in the sky at each kind of turn in the road. But then, actually, depending on the directions you get, might not like that so much after all. Maybe I'd start to feel trapped. Maybe I'd start to feel like I was just an actor following a script, not really doing it. Maybe I'd start to feel scared about where that path was going to take me as I discovered what it was, what it would force me to go through. How are you meant to make big directional decisions in life uh, when life presents you with those sorts of choices? What, what difference would it make being a follower of Jesus when you run into questions like that? How does God direct individuals and his church as a whole? Well, the the section of the Bible we're looking at today invites us to explore uh, exactly these sorts of questions. Now, if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus here today, I'm so glad you're here. You might think this is all going to be pretty irrelevant for me. I don't really care. But can I encourage you? Try and listen in anyway. Um, Why? Well, See if there's any kind of sense to what we say about how these things work. See if uh, with a God who has a plan for the world, it might make some sense of our human lives and decisions, how they might fit in. Now, we're going to read in a moment, but before we read... um, I'm going to take a little bit longer than usual just to give us some context because we're diving into the book called Acts. And we've been there before. We got about halfway through the book some months back if you were with us. Now, it's like Dave says, it's telling the story of the very first churches. It picks up from where the gospel accounts of Jesus' life leave off. And it's been a while. We took an excursion into the book of Galatians. Um, We did that because the letter to the Galatians, we think, was written right about at that point in the story of the book of Acts. So it made sense to read something that fitted in right there. Then we took an excursion into the book of Jonah because, why not? Jonah's a great Bible story. So we did that. And then we had Easter. Um, But we're back. We're back in Acts and the story of the very first churches. And if you've not been with us through this series, let me kind of bring you up to speed. So the gospel ends with the death of Of Jesus and his resurrection and Acts picks up the story and it takes us through the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the beginning of the first church in Jerusalem, the outbreak of persecution that scatters the church and their message. It shows us the message crossing huge boundaries first between Jew and Samaritan and then between Jew and Gentile that is non-Jew and then it zooms in on this one guy Paul um, once a key persecutor of people with the message of Jesus, and now one of the key preachers of the message of Jesus. Now we followed him through a first mission trip, hundreds and hundreds of miles, reaching across enormous tracts of land, and uh, through tens of cities. Now we pick up the story as he's getting started on an even more epic second trip. And he's already like something like 568 miles from where he began, and you know he didn't fly. Uh, he's, he's gone a long way already. But we're going to pick up the story in an area called um, Galatia. Uh, that's modern day Turkey. So why not read along? We're in Acts um, chapter 16 and we're starting at verse 6. And if you've got one of the Blue Church Bibles, it's got an excellent page number today 1111. How's that for a page number? 1111. And Ruth, I think, is going to help us read this morning, if I'm right about that. Am I right, Ruth? Yes. Acts chapter 16 and we're starting at verse 6. Big 16, small 6. And page 1111. Paul's vision of the man of Macedonia. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Thanks very much, Ruth. So what do we see there about guidance and direction? Well, the answer is a lot, right? There's a lot of guidance. I guess the the first thing I want to say here is that this is a very unusual passage. This is packing in so much supernatural guidance in one section. In fact, I think this is the most concentrated set of guidance that you'll find in the whole book of Acts. So we have to start out by recognizing that what we're reading here is unusual. Uh, even by the standard of the book of Acts. This is not even, you know, every Thursday for the Apostle Paul, even in the earliest days of the church, even for that key guy. This is not every weekend. And I guess that's where I want to start as we think together about guidance and direction. And I want to argue that the very first thing that we see from this passage is a general principle about God's direction for our lives. And that is, go until God says stop. Go until he says stop. Uh, as you might know, I worked for uh, a company called Amazon.com, you might have heard of. Um, worked for them for a long time. And while I was there, it went from this kind of small, itty-bitty organization into some gigantic metalopolis controlling the entire universe. And what had been just like instincts... At the beginning, and just kind of unspoken norms, they turned into programs and rules and systems and structures. And one place that happened in particular was in leadership um, in the company. And the the HR team put together uh, what they called leadership principles. And Andrew knows about leadership principles at Amazon. They put together these leadership principles... Um, just like the way in which things are done around here. And one of those leadership principles is bias for action, which is a great businessy phrase, isn't it? Bias for action. What on earth does that mean? Well, I looked it up, and bias for action, it says this. It says, speed matters in business. Decisions, many decisions and actions are actually reversible and don't need extensive studies. So we value some calculated risk-taking. Bias for action. It says the default is try and move forward. Take some risks. Have a go. Except there is a measure of risk, but it's probably worth it because even with some mistakes along the way, if we go, if we begin moving, we're going to make more direction. On average, we'll be further forward. The team we're watching here in Acts, Paul and his companions, they have a sort of bias for action as well. They have this go until God says stop type attitude. Think about what's going on in this passage, right? We just read. The team had planned to head into the province of Asia, and the province of Asia is an ancient name for an area that today is modern-day Turkey, on the western side of modern-day Turkey, before God stopped them going that way. Then they planned to head in into Bithynia. Now, Bithynia is kind of towards modern-day Istanbul. It's kind of the north end of Turkey, before God stops them again. Both of those routes they tried are sensible ones, humanly speaking. They both follow major roads to key cities when the team's mission is to tell new people about Jesus. Well, that seems like a a fairly good way to go about it. They both seem like reasonable places to start. That is bias for action in play there. They're defaulting towards trying things, pushing at doors rather than just sitting and waiting for direction. Their standard operating procedure, we might say, is go until God says stop. Now, it is very easy to imagine situations where we shouldn't do anything at all until we're absolutely certain it's the right move. There are times in life when wisdom says our default should be stop rather than go when the, the, the risk of taking a wrong step is extreme. Imagine, uh, imagine you're diffusing this bomb. Okay, if you're diffusing this bomb, um, should you cut the red wire or the black one? Well, this is a major decision. This has got serious consequences if you make the wrong call. Don't do it until you're absolutely sure. Or time's about to run out and the risk of making a wrong move is less than the risk of doing nothing. So it's not like a universal principle. You can plaster over everything and ignore everything else and default to this for your whole life. But in the Christian life... I think there are some pretty big areas where it is exactly the right default for us to have, just like it was for this team. See, we've got some very clear directions from Jesus. They're high level, perhaps, but they're clear nonetheless. Are we to love people or not? We're to love people. Okay, we've got a nice, big, clear direction. Are we to make disciples or not? We're to make disciples. That is, we are to do what we can to share the hope we have in Jesus with the the world around us, wanting them to join us in knowing him, join us in following him. These are places where our default ought to be, go until God says, stop. But the truth is, for me, and perhaps for some of you, it is all too easy to get stuck on pause, worrying about the risk, thinking of everything that could go wrong, or when I'm just not... Quite clear on precisely what i should do and i want more specific guidance stuck on pause when at least i could try something i think the thing here is that often what we dress up as searching for guidance or waiting for guidance or prudent caution if we're honest is actually an excuse for not doing what we've plainly been told think about the sorts of things that can hold us back Sometimes I think it's laziness. Imagine the child, teachers in the classroom, you'll know these people who can't lift their pen because, because they can't make the tiniest start in their schoolwork because they don't know exactly what they're meant to do. Miss, Miss, They cry. The hand goes up. The pencil's still on the desk. They're like, I'm raring to go. I would totally work on this homework, but I don't know exactly. Was it A, B, C, and D you want me to do? Or just A, B, and C? I I, I don't don't know they'll go to great lengths right to avoid even starting the work that's been set for them i think that's one way in which we can get hung up we just really don't want to do it so we pretend that we need more direction and more guidance but really we just don't want to go at other times i think it's fear like when i just won't have the hard conversation that i know i need to because it's going to be painful i'm just not looking forward to it so i tell myself "Oh, i'm not sure yet it's the right thing to do When really, I am sure. I tell myself, it's not clear there really is a problem, when really, it's clear enough. Now, what you get in this passage is emphatically not an invitation to default to sitting on your hands and waiting for more specific direction. Even though the passage is filled with divine direction, right? What you see here is a team that is trying things. You see a team that is pushing at doors. It's a challenge to share their bias for action, to hear Jesus' clear commands and then go until God says stop. Use your human wisdom. Use your initiative to figure out practical things you can try which might take you towards filling God's commands and then get going on them. So I want to pause right here for a moment and think together. Let's take a moment to think, where am I sitting on my hands How could I be taking the initiative with things I know I've been called to do this week? What would it look for me to go until God says stop? Just 30 seconds for you to think about in your life, where is this for you? Sometimes it's good just to take a moment to think, to stop and think, right? One of the biggest reasons to go until God says stop, one which you see, though, so clearly in today's passage is that God is perfectly able to stop you. Anytime he wants, when you're not going the right way, God can stop you easy. Look at how the passage describes God's guidance working out. When the team are stopped from going in the directions they planned, from taking the actions they planned. In verse 6, they are kept from heading into the province of Asia. modern-day Western Turkey. Kept is this strong word, and they were prevented. They were forbidden. That's the same language used, if you remember the story, where the disciples are trying to keep the children away from Jesus. They're like, keep back. Is that sort of stopped that prevention. It's the same language used as about where um, people are trying to stop Christians talking to Gentiles about Jesus. It's not something you might miss or overlook. It's not just a, a subtle hint or an odd hunch that it might not be the right thing to do. This is like the nope card if you've ever played Exploding Kittens. It's never played it Yes. Isn't Splitting the Kittens a good game? It's fantastic. The nope card cancels anybody else's mood. You just play the nope card and that's it. They're done. It's like, nope, says God, and that is that. And when when the team tried to head north into Bithynia towards Istanbul to the north, verse 7, God would not allow them. He wouldn't allow them. He simply made it impossible for them. And again, it's not subtle stuff. This is not like a spidey sense tingling. Ooh, I wonder if I shouldn't go there. It's not like something you can't quite put your finger on. This is a plain and simple nope. In trying to obey God's commands, you see, you can safely go until God says stop because God can stop you easy the moment he wants to. Now, when, when God stops the team here, there's really no detail at all in what we read of how he does that. We get these plain statements showing they're stopped in their tracks, turned around, but it doesn't spell out how. This is not like a a how-to manual on supernatural guidance or a detailed analysis of the experience of being directed. It's just the certainty here that God is quite able to close doors. He's quite able to guide in this negative way by saying, nope. Have you ever had God do that in your life? Ever had him just completely close a door on you? You were trying to go in a way you thought was reasonable pursuit of his direction. Seemed like a fine plan to you, but God just said, nope. We uh, were down in Oxford for a number of years, um, living down there while I was studying. Um, we thought the right path for us might be to keep working with a, a new church start down there that we were serving in, and uh, we were just renting at the time. Our initiative led us to try and buy a house so we could stay on for the long term. I still remember the house we were looking at. It had a cool mountain biking track in the garden. It looked really quite exciting. Um, but God said, no, nope. we just couldn't make it work. It seemed like it was going to be possible. Everything we tried, every way we went about trying to complete this, it was just impossible. There was no way for us to get the funds we needed. When we needed them, it just wouldn't work. In trying to obey God's commands, you can safely go until God says stop because God can stop you easy. So when we, when we think about the clear call we have to make disciples, for example, to share the good news, well, we should go unless we've got a similarly clear call to stop. David was speaking to us about this from Jonah a few weeks back. Has God told you not to go and make disciples? Well, fair enough. Then you, you shouldn't do that. But unless you've got that clear and specific direction, then we all share the great commission that he gave to his first disciples to go and make disciples. The same is true of our call to love our neighbors. Have any questions about whether we're meant to love our neighbors? No. It's utterly clear we should go unless there's an equally clear call to stop. And notice here, when God says nope the first time, when they get this clear call to stop, when they're trying to head west, they don't understand it as a clear call to park up, camp out, chillax, we're done. God said, stop, we should camp here. It's just time for them to try another path. Can't go west? Hmm, what's next? Let's try north. So has God stopped you as he closed the door in front of you? Don't misread that to tell you every single door is closed. You can just relax now and wait. When we're the menu, do like this team does. Try north instead, push another door, go until God says stop. Now, while I was preparing, I was wondering about why. Why does God not allow them go west? Why does he not allow them to go north? That's the sort of question I like to ask myself. Why is this going on? But, you know, the passage doesn't really give anything away at all. We could just speculate. We could imagine. But the passage doesn't tell us anything. What we do know here, though, is that this is a question of time rather than place. Churches would be planted in that area to the north. Have you ever heard of the Nicene Creed? It comes from a city called Nicaea that was in the north. There will be churches established there. Um, There will be churches planted in the west. In fact, Paul and his team on this same trip will eventually go all the way around a huge circle and end up in this western place they were told not to go. There will be key churches there. Go until God says stop. God can stop you easy. And then finally, I guess, the next thing we see here is when God does say go, go for it. I don't want to misset your expectations as we get into this last point. Remember, this is a unique set of supernatural guidance in the recorded history of the church. In the extraordinary life of Paul, three directions in one trip. It's not nearly every day for Paul. It certainly wasn't every day for the wider church. So don't expect this to be every day because this is not everyday stuff. This is extraordinary stuff. It's not to say it won't happen to you. Or it can happen to you. Just it's not going to be every day. And when they arrive in Troas, even after those first two notes from God, there's no particular indication that they were kind of waiting on God, as we might say, like kind of directly seeking more supernatural direction. There's no description of them, say, worshiping and fasting, for example, which is what was going on in Antioch before the Spirit said set apart Paul and Barnabas for their first missionary trip, way, way back in chapter 13. There's no evidence they're waiting on God to hear which pair of socks should I wear this morning or you know, should I get out of bed or not. But one night Paul does have this vision Uh, It's one of only 12 visions recorded in the New Testament in the Bible. So not regular common things. All but one of those is in the book of the Acts. Um, uh, There's a person from Macedonia. It's west across the sea. He's calling urgently for help. And when God says go, well, they they go. We got ready at once, uh, immediately to leave for Macedonia, the author writes. There is no time to waste. But there is something to notice here. That it'd be easy to overlook. See what he tells us next? He says, we got ready at once to leave from Estonia, concluding that God had called us. Two things bound up in that phrase. First, that word concluding means bringing together. It means acting with logic on. It means reasoning from evidence. And second, it is a plural concluding that happens there. The the team is reasoning together about what Paul saw in his vision before deciding to act. Now, why do I make a big thing of that? Well, if you think you've heard special direction from God, what we're reading here suggests you might want to share it. You might want to have others reason about it with you. Consider it together. What we don't get is Paul bursting into the team meeting in the morning. Everybody, I saw a vision. Let's go go instead he rushes in it's remarkable considering he's the dude like, he's the Paul who gets most of acts written about him and he comes in saying i saw a vision what do you think that seems to be the attitude he came in with even though jesus himself has spoken to paul jesus has spoken through paul even though it seems pretty obvious to us what that vision means god's guidance here is communal and I think that can be a helpful safeguard for us, whether we're thinking about direction God might have given us as individuals or together as a church family. Now, the team don't understand why it is Macedonia they should go to, not Asia or Bithynia. And there's nothing in this passage that makes us any the wiser. It's just God's plan. And they needed to go with it. I guess that makes me think we don't always have to understand in order to obey God. Sometimes we just need to humbly do what we've been told and trust that God knows what he's doing. I'm the sort of person, like I said, who always asks why. who always wants to know the reason behind things. But I think there is a message for us here. We won't always understand. Sometimes we just need to obey. One last observation for you here. I want to close with this. The, The man in the vision begs Paul to come and help or come and aid these people in Macedonia. Did you notice what the team conclude they need to do to help the team, uh, the people of Macedonia? It's not food. Uh, it's not money. They conclude that God has called them to preach the gospel, well, literally to evangelize. It's the, the Greek word there. That's the one thing that's going to truly help the people of Macedonia. When they call out for aid, this is the aid they need. So I guess we should think about whether you need help today. Could you believe that there's one thing that will truly ultimately help? That ultimately is Jesus. That's the gospel. The, the good news that Jesus, God's own son, died in our place for our wrongs so that we could be reconciled to God and live with God forever. That's the help that every follower of Jesus Has been entrusted with, and the cool thing about this sort of help is it doesn't run out. It doesn't get used up. It's not like a you know a zero sum game where I've got this much, and every time I give some away, I've got less. But this message about Jesus multiplies. When I give it away, do you know what happens? We've got more to share with others. It's help that multiplies as we share it, rather than subtracts. Now. Through what we read about today, the gospel would reach what's called Europe today. Now, at the time, it's just another part of the mighty Roman Empire. In fact, it was just another part of the Greek-speaking part of the Roman Empire. It was just a next stage of place along. But as a result of that team's determination to go until God says, stop, Over time, this news about Jesus would actually transform Europe. We would see millions, ultimately billions, of people coming to believe it. Billions of followers of Jesus. We see flowing out of this one piece of obedience, a somewhat strange-seeming obedience. If you follow Jesus, well, we share that same root call from God to go with this good news, and I think... Really, the challenge for us today is whether we will join them or not in going until God says stop, in using our initiative, in choosing to go, to try, to push, to explore. Who knows what it is that God will accomplish through a seemingly small act. Let me pray for us for a minute. Lord, most of the time I feel like I would um, love super clear guidance to know exactly what to do, uh, where to go, how to do it. i uh, love to have you um, close doors and open doors, set the path and help me walk it. Yet yeah, at the same time it does make me afraid. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be difficult. Not as your followers, we um, hear your call. Um, to love you, to love people, to go and make disciples. We know at this level what it is that you would have us do. We know the purpose um, that you have for us. Please help us today as we see this example this early set of followers of you this early team being willing to try different things to push at boundaries to take uh, initiative to see, If there is uh, a way ahead, a fruitful way ahead. Thank you that they don't give up. Please help us to push like them and not to give up like them. Help us to listen like them and be obedient like them. Please, Lord, might we see, uh, again, the amazing multiplication fruit of this message about Jesus. Look back and we see this one trip as a start for something enormous. We never know what the consequence of one conversation uh, could be. Please help us this week to take the initiative and seek and to speak for you. Amen. Now, um, today we're going to do something uh, a little bit different. What we're going to do is we're going to pop the um, questions that have been asked up on screen. going to invite you to take a minute to turn somebody near you. If there's nobody near you, don't be shy. Go and